I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Mwah. Most illogical. I saw it. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Batarians, chickens and things, to episode 78 of the Bumper Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Those are The Muppets and Star Trek, and we do oh. one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Original Series. And this week we have a doozy with special Muppet Show guest Victor Borga and Star Trek The Original Series episode, The Savage Curtain. I still have no idea why it's called that. Uh, so now you have to tell us, Steve, who is this Victor Borga, which we know how to say now, which is great. We do. Uh, he was born actually Borg Rosenbaum. Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, and he is uh, from Denmark. He's mm-hmm. Danish. Uh, he was called the, the Clown Prince of Denmark. <laughs> he played his first major concert at 17 and began his stand-up career just a few years later, becoming known uh, for actually telling anti-Nazi jokes. Wow. Well, as it turns out, Germany invaded Denmark, and luckily, he was performing a concert in Sweden at the time, made his way to Finland, and then caught the last neutral U.S. ship heading to the U.S. Wow. Uh, And he actually, during the war, snuck back, disguised as a foreign sailor, to visit his dying mother, his sick mother. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, that's crazy. Snuck in. (laughs) <laughs> to Nazi territory. Wow. <laughs> Nuts. Uh, in 1953, uh, he started a one-man show on Broadway called Comedy in Music. It ran for more than 800 performances and is still the longest-running one-person show in Broadway history. That's amazing. Even at age 90, he performed 60 concerts in wow. his last year, uh, and he died in 2000. What does our audience know him from? Well, he's kind of a staple of some American comedy and variety shows. Uh, he was on a lot of PBS specials. That's how I remember Victor <laughs> Borg. Uh, and while he did have a few small roles, his biggest came in 1982 when he did a cameo in, in uh, King of Comedy starring Robert De Niro. But he doesn't have many major film credits to point out, point out otherwise. King of Comedy is a good movie, by the way, folks. Him and Jerry it Lewis. It's interesting. Uh what the hell is he up to this week? Backstage, someone's looking for Bobby Benson, and various people end up attempting to watch the babies, and the babies eventually kind of drive them all insane. I had forgotten, like, why do I hate that name, Bobby Benson? I'm like, oh, yeah, the damn babies. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out the person searching for him is a police officer, and Bobby Benson is under arrest for, it's explained as losing a lawsuit to the tooth fairy. Yeah. And owing a debt. <laughs> Very strange. He's back just in time for the closing number. On stage, the Swedish chef is appalled to learn that Victor Borga is Danish, not Swedish. Kermit introduces the opening number and a bunch of macho, macho pigs in leather daddy outfits <laughs> sing Macho Man on the rooftop. Really had me going. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Link Hogthrob leads them and then Gonzo and some chickens come and battle it out. Afros. It's great. Uh, Kermit introduces Victor Borga, who performs a duet with Rolf. Uh, they tell some jokes before deciding on Hungarian Rhapsody number two, which they sort of have to play over top of each other. And they move about feverishly. And they f- and as they finish the piece, he slams the, the lid of the piano. Uh, the rats then hit the stage, performing Rock Around the Clock, 
uh, interluded with them hiding from a cat. And it's really weird because these are sort of proto rat puppets for what we would eventually see in things like Muppet Take Manhattan. Yeah. And I was, it made me think, I'm like, oh, yeah, Rizzo hasn't shown up yet in existence yet. So. Right, right. And so it was just one of those things where I was like, wow. Well, I think this is the first season or maybe end of third is when Steve Whitmire finally joined the cast. So at this point, Steve was still like apprenticing. Ah. And so it's not until late this season and in season five, we're going to see a lot more. And this okay. season, episode 18 is where Rizzo first appears. Yep. So we're coming up. <laughs> but at this point, he was sort of uh, still apprentice. He was playing. Uh, he was playing a lot of right hands. OK, gotcha. Um. All right, more of that later. Um, (laughs) We then get Gonzo on stage uh, singing a duet with himself in the mirror of the song Act Naturally. Afterwards, we get a trip to the Swedish chef's kitchen where he tries to make turtle soup. The turtle fights back, retreating into his shell and then pulling out two barrels of guns or cannons. (laughs) Uh, The Swedish chef begs for his life before before being uh, shot at in a workplace gun violence incident. (laughs) Yes. Some of this stuff does not age well. No, it does. <laughs> uh, Victor Borga uh, is then accompanied by Bobby Benson's baby band as they perform Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto. Uh, Victor falls off his stool, which I had to rewatch. It was so good. Um, and it's surprisingly tame. Uh, Kermit thanks Victor Borga. The babies give Victor a baton. Victor has contracted, contracted chicken pox from the babies which at his age can be very dangerous. <laughs> and that is what we call the Muppet show. There's gunshots. There's chicken pox going around. Man. It's dangerous. Like, and there's like, well, and, and I didn't even mention, I kind of glossed over it. The backstage plot is a lot of like borderline child abuse. And I'm really confused what Bobby Benson was under arrest for. Yeah. Miss Piggy was watching the babies and she wasn't doing a very good job. And because he, if the two, three thing is to be taken anyway, seriously, then he like what collects teeth from the babies. <laughs> That's even more disturbing. Dude, how fucked is that? <laughs> what if all those babies are just like little stunted seven-year-olds? You notice they have no teeth, but really large hands. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh, my God. I hate Bobby Benson now, too. <laughs> exactly. He's terrible. I'll take Jerry in the Atrix any, any, any day. day. <laughs> over Bobby Benson. Uh, Star, what did you think of this episode with Victor Borga? I thought Victor Borga was very charming. Um, he was very silly and a lot of slapstick and physical humor that he was still good at at the advanced age he appeared to be even in this move, uh, episode. Um, he's very silly and he fit in really well with the Muppets. And he also happens to be a great piano player. So that was also like an added benefit to him being silly, funny and having a skill that he can also show showcase. Um, I thought they almost had something with that scene with him and Ralph, but like, it just felt like they needed more rehearsal or something because there's a lot of parts where it's like Ralph wasn't hitting as accurately as normal because I feel like maybe he couldn't actually touch the keys because Victor was I actually, actually going to be playing. I wondered about that because you can, if you watch, you can see him hitting some keys. Yeah, it's weird. But now, then mind, mind you, what they may have done is just known that since the parts are divvied up and they're not playing at the same time, that they could just cut the sound there. That's true. And put in the real thing. And so there's a chance that Rolf was hitting keys at the time. And they just, <laughs> they cut were just the, terribly they were doing a lot of editing or something. Right. It just didn't work. Because you could tell, like, yeah, when Victor was playing, he was actually hitting those keys and hitting the right ones at the right time. So 
I found myself wondering, I was like, do they have half of the piano disabled? And is that why Rolf is playing down there and Victor's playing at the top? But then at the end, they like moved all over and I went, well, that's out. Yeah, it was very confusing. So I don't know what was going on there, but it just seemed like it was also like parts of it were not timed correctly. It was a little rough, but it, it was really cute, though. And it still was really fun to watch. And it was like a great idea. Just like need, maybe need some more rehearsal or something. But um, yeah, uh, I have to say, though, what really knocks this episode for me is the damn babies. <laughs> They're terrifying. And I hate that's them. That's right. They are. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Like, I know I glossed over the backstage plot, but this is one of the heavier backstage plots we've seen. What do you mean heavier? Like, there's more time spent backstage That's this true. episode than a lot. Because we get, like, Bobby Benson and and him rehearsing, and then the thing with Fozzie, and then we get check-ins, Bobby Benson again, and then Piggy taking the babies, and then Scooter going up to the dressing room and the scene with the babies up there. And then her returning the babies, Bobby Benson coming back. Like, that's a ton backstage. That's more than we get most of the time. That's true. And then as a consequence, I also feel like they could have done more with Victor Borga putting him in different environments. Because basically he was just in a suit playing piano in every one of his, like, scenes. Whereas, like, they had, like, Elton John on. And I think at one point he was playing in a swamp. Um, like, he's still playing piano, but he would be in different places with crazy costumes. Right. Where Victor was just, like, in his same suit the whole time, playing on the same piano the whole time. Like, so they could... See, the more of that I feel like. So I, I agree with some part of that in that I wish there was more Victor Borga. Yeah. He was only in like the two big numbers and then his one little interlude thing that was really quick. Um, he's such a great performer. He got along great with the Muppets. He interacted well with the Muppets, which I really, we, we always appreciate on this right. show. Great physical um, comedy. But you're right. We didn't get a lot of our usual sketches nope. or like those anchor sketches. Um, though I will say Macho Man was great in high energy. I loved uh, Act Naturally with Gonzo. Oh, I have to comment on that because I was I don't always watch this with my fiance, but she was watching it with me this time and she said, oh, my God. And I said, what's wrong? And she goes, no, no, this this song that Gonzo's singing, it's a Ringo Starr song off of the um, the White Album, I think she said. And her and her dad sang it together for her first grade talent show. <laughs> so when she has a video for out there, I'm going to see eventually, but it's her singing. She says, I sing terribly, but my dad sings with me and plays guitar. And we sing this song together for my first grade talent show. And I was like, that's awesome. So she recorded it while we were watching and sent it to her dad. Cause he's like, this is so what a coincidence, but it was, it was a really cute number though. I liked that a lot. Okay. He puts on different hats and stuff. Nice. I'm glad I had a deep connection. Yeah. I love that number. Exactly. Um, all right. So music this week. We got Macho Man, <laughs> made famous by the Village People and released in 1978. This was a relatively contemporary number at the time this episode came out. And the Village People are named after Greenwich Village, which I guess I'd never actually put together anymore, uh, which at the time was sort of the uh, like the gay capital of the world. Right. Greenwich Village. Uh, Hungarian, Hungarian Rhapsody number two. This is one of a series of 19 Rhapsodies from Franz Litzt. Uh, he died after contracting pneumonia at a music festival dedicated to Wagner. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, he died at a he died from something he got caught in a music festival. That's fucking rock and roll. <laughs> uh, rock around the clock. The most famous version was recorded by Bill Haley and his Connets in 1954. This was the first rock and roll record to hit number one on the U.S. charts. Wow. Uh, act naturally. Uh. The, while upbeat, the song is about um, someone who just got their heart broken, and they're so sad that someone sees them as like, we should put you in a sad movie because you'd play the part perfectly. Oh. 
the lyrics, if you listen, are actually very sad, despite it being a very upbeat song. <laughs> uh, Moonlight Sonata, Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number 14. The whole piece, um, it's uh, inscribed on his notes for it over the top was this whole piece ought to be played with the utmost delicacy and without dampers. And what he was indicating is he wanted the sustain pedal used through the entire piece. Oh God, that's not like a mess, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, it turns out old pianos kind of sucked at resonating notes for a long time. So mm. if you follow the directions on a modern piano, it's a mess. <laughs> All the notes will stay on the whole time. But they but- say that if you can find like an old, old antique piano, that they suck at sustain. And so it makes sense. Mm, interesting. Um, piano concerto number one by Tchaikovsky um, from 2021 to 2022. It served as the official anthem of the Russian Olympic Committee. Uh, it had to be a substituted for the actual national anthem because of the doping scandal, and they weren't allowed to use any of their own national symbols. <laughs> so Tchaikovsky's piano concerto became their song. That's funny. Jordan, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? I almost went with the Macho Man one because it's there's just, a lot going on, a lot going on. But I just don't like that song, so it kind of ruined it for me. But I, I also the rats made me really excited, so I went for the Rock Around the Clock with the rats because it was. There was a lot going on as well, but also it's like, oh, Rizzo's my, Rizzo's like my favorite character from the movies. So it was like it gave me that feeling of excitement and also just a lot. There was difficult Muppeteering going on as well. So that was my favorite. Uh, I'm going to give it to uh, Gonzo and Act Naturally. I really respect when a single Muppet or performer can just own the whole stage. Oh, yeah. I like that. And it's often I'm finding Dave Goals who can really capture that. And I think does the best solo performances, sort of the voice of Gonzo. Yeah. The voice of Gonzo did goals. And they had two puppets, obviously at the same time. So that was impressive. In some ports they did some points it was green or like a split screen thing. Right. Cause then they edited in other like hats and stuff. So I think it switched and used some clever, some clever TV tricks throughout. Yeah. So maybe they filmed it twice with the split screen or something. Right. That makes sense. Some of the movements were really exact. And if it was just another puppet on the other side for all of it, I would be blown away. That's very impressive. Really, really, really precise. Hmm. Um, all right. So, Jarman, what happened on this week's episode of Star oh, Trek, the original series? This week, it's the Savage Curtain for some Ooh. reason. <laughs> so They didn't say it in the episode, so I don't understand. Because <laughs> they often do, but they didn't. They this often time. do. So the Enterprise is sent to investigate the volcanic planet Excalbia which sounds really cool, but it's not. It's just a bunch of rocks. Um, even though it should be impossible, the sensors on the ship detect life forms below. And they're about to leave and just go back to um, the, um, back to the Federation to their next task when suddenly an image of Abraham Lincoln comes on their screen and the red alert goes off. And he claims he's the real deal. He's really Abraham Lincoln, not an illusion. Um, and they say, okay, and he can come on board so they can test him and maybe he can see their ship too because he's really interested in seeing their ship. And once on the ship, they pretend that he really is Lincoln just to placate what they see as a strange alien pretending or thinks that he actually is Lincoln. So they want to be safe and they put on their best duds and they do like a presidential greeting for him and everything. And the scans show that he is human. Um, and suddenly a huge swath of safe for humans land shows up on the planet below that wasn't there before with our environment safety and all that kind of stuff there. So they could beam down if they wanted to. And Lincoln says he doesn't know how he knows this, but he knows that they should go down to the planet for some reason. 
So Spock concludes, once, once Lincoln's out of the room, that the alien race below somewhere must have manifested Lincoln in particular because they must have found from their scans that he is greatly admired by Kirk, and they picked him on purpose to get into his emotions. But against the outcry from Bones and Scotty, Kirk and Spock go down to the planet with Lincoln. And once on the planet, they're greeted by Surak, an ancient figure from Vulcan who is uh, – the person who supposedly brought Vulcans into enlightenment in their current state of logic. And he's like a huge figure in Vulcan history. And then this really weird looking rock monster looks like something out of lost in space or doctor who shows up um, with smoke coming out of his eyes and stuff. And he tells them that they will have to face off with four evil beings and fight to the death because the rock people don't understand their concepts of good and evil. And they want this to be demonstrated for them so they can learn from it and figure out which one's better. And then they are introduced to who they'll be fighting, and it's Genghis Khan, uh, Kalas, or Kalas, actually, Kalas the Klingon, who's like an old mythological um, Klingon figure, and this unethical scientist woman from Tiburon called Zora, and a World War III Earth warlord who committed genocide, uh, Colonel Philip Green, um, all picked out of time and place to fight them here. And Kirk tells the rock monster, I'm not going to fight these people. This is ridiculous. We're peaceful. We come in peace. But the monster says they fight or they will die. So then Colonel Green walks over, the genocidal colonel from the past, and tries to talk with Kirk and say they should work together because this guy's our common enemy. We don't need to fight each other. And they almost agree, but then it was just a trap to fight them. And so everyone starts jumping into fight and they, they fend them off eventually. So Kirk again says that he will not fight. So the rock monster says, oh, you need some motivation. So he says now they can talk to the ship. And when they talk to the ship, Scotty says that it's being slowly crushed, slowly destroyed by some unknown power. Systems are shutting down. They only have a limited amount of time before they'll be destroyed. So now they have a motivation to really start fighting. So the rock monster is not bluffing. So also the Enterprise crew, because of the rock monster, are able to watch what's happening from their view screen. So they're watching all this go down just as we are. So back in the planet, Surak is a pacifist. So he convinces them to let him go try to negotiate with the villains. Um, but once he gets over there, they kill him and they impersonate his voice so that Spock and Kirk and Lincoln will want to go rescue him. And they try this scheme to distract them and Lincoln's going to go save him. But Lincoln finds him there dead and then they kill Lincoln. So in an anticlimactic ending, they just beat up the bad guys. The bad guys run away. Um, and then the rock monster's like, well, I guess you win, even though they ran away. Um, <laughs> the rock monster lets them go back to their ship and leave. They yell at the rock monster first, saying, this is bad, you shouldn't do this kind of thing. But he turns back into a rock and doesn't give a shit. And it doesn't seem like the monster learned anything from this. Uh, they don't seem to warn anyone else from going to this planet in the future, unless I missed that part. And uh, that's the end of the episode. So, <laughs> Stephen, what do you think of this episode? Uh, okay, some things I liked. I, in general, did like this episode. I agreed that it lost its way so heavily in the last five minutes. I did enjoy it, too. So I'll, I'll get into that later, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, here's my question. This whole season, we have been in low budget hell. Mm -hmm. And the last two episodes, it feels like, is where all the budget went. So I did read about that. And it's not actually in my trivia. So I'll bring it up now that you say that they reuse so much stuff in this episode that they found on the studio lot. They didn't have to pay for so that's okay. the way they were able to finagle it and they had to return a lot of it and stuff like that. So, yeah, this was that's how they made that happen. <laughs> it just felt high production between the monster, the setting, all the different actors. Like, you don't get that many actors a lot of the time. It just yeah. felt like a big episode. So the setting was actually from Lost in Space that had just wrapped. Nice. 
Um, they used a set that was already in existence. They didn't let the two actors talk, uh, Genghis Khan and Zora, because then they could pay them a lot less. <laughs> so they, that's why they had no lines. That um, makes sense. But anyways, yeah. So there's you had a good point, though. Um, I love the. It was such a crazy concept, but like, who cares? Like, really carried it off. <laughs> Like a blinking in space, like that's a that's a fever dream someone had. Really How was that is. a Star Trek episode? Um, and I like that we got like Star Trek universe history drops, like the World War Three general, yeah, and stuff. Because I was just watching a recap video. I was like, "What you need to know for Picard?" I was watching it, and they showed him, and I was like, "I haven't seen that guy yet. He must be coming." And then here we are, like ah. two days later, and he's in that episode. Um. So I liked that we got a little bit like earth background. Yeah. Uh, things I struggled with a little bit. Uh, I wish there had been more good guy superheroes felt stupid. Like is the indication that both Kirk and Spock would go on to become as big of figures as Lincoln and Serac. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's hard for me. That being said, I guess Picard has saved the entire galaxy or universe. Yeah, they all have three or four times. And Spock goes on to like help you know, fix timelines and universes, time and stuff. traveler, and so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's exactly what we were supposed to get from this episode. Spock brings together all of the Vulcans and Romulans eventually. So you know, so maybe that's exactly what they were going after. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe <laughs> I didn't understand the implications. Maybe. Um, the rock monster for being highly advanced and clearly civilized enough, but it wanted to learn whether to be good or evil from watching things fight, which is weird. That was weird. It was odd. Um, the fight scenes with the rocks and spears were terrible. (laughs) Like no one was throwing anything with enough force to look even remotely convincing. Oh, and they also mentioned that the reason they, like they beam down to the planet and for some reason their phasers fall off I, on the ship. I, I did love that. And they did the, that because the, it would cost too much money to do the special effects for the fa- the phasers for this episode. I noticed that within the writing, it felt so weird. He's like, yes, welcome to the planet. You must fight. You can use any weapon you can think of that you could make out of rocks or sticks. <laughs> Just rocks or sticks. Like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Was it the one where he the same concept the Gorn? Was that it? <laughs> yeah, he had to fight that thing for similar reasons. <laughs> yeah, for very similar reasons. Um, and I wish the ending. And now let's, let's talk about the ending because it was unsatisfying, and I can identify exactly why. Yeah, Lincoln's plan should have worked, mm-hmm. but the bad guys should have gotten lucky. Because instead, Lincoln walked into a trap that he was trying to also set a trap for them and went out like a punk. And that <laughs> felt bad because they, the audience liked Lincoln. I liked Lincoln. Yeah. And so for him to go in, risk his life, and then just have the bad guys just outsmart him felt so shitty. Because they weren't playing with those bad guys as being very smart. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. Um, and if I don't any, like the fact that it just kind of ends with the ideas beat people up. There was no like bigger message at the end there. It's like, well, we ended up had to beat them up anyways. That's the thing we so we weren't going to do, but I guess we just got to beat them up. And I was like, you couldn't think of anything else. 
you know, and I think, and here's the worst part. I think they could have fixed it real easy, real, real easy. Kill Serac, fine. He went over and he got taken advantage of the bad guys. Have Lincoln be pulled out as a hostage or something. There's a final fight where Abe Lincoln breaks free and each one of them is fighting bad supervillains. Uh, and then have both the, what the captain guy, Captain Green, is that his Colonel name? Colonel Green, yeah. Colonel Green and Abe Lincoln both get like mortally wounded. And then the bad guys leave Green behind as he calls for help while uh. Kirk and Spock go and hold Lincoln while he dies. And that's what the rock monster sees. Or they, yeah, they save Colonel Green. They patch him up, make sure he doesn't right. die. Whatever. It was that would have been an easy fix with no budget implications that would have made this such a more satisfying story. It's where someone learns something. Someone has an arc. Someone changes, you know, like, but nothing, right. no one changed. <laughs> like, we're right. Um, so I, I agree. This was a great episode. And I feel like once they, they were like going to spring the trap on the bad guys, quote unquote, it was just got real bad. Yeah, from there kind of spiraled down and they didn't really have a good button on the ending. But um yeah, I, I would say say I really enjoy this episode because because of some of the silliness of the concept and it kinda of reminds me of that episode we watched, I think back in season one where they go to that planet that has like the Easter bunny and stuff on it. Remember that? Oh yeah, like the delusion planet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that. It was like, well now you got the illusion of uh, you know, Abe Lincoln. It's just so strange that it's just part of the charm of this episode i don't forget this i didn't forget this episode at all because it just stands out it's being so strange <laughs> um and also cool because you're introduced to these characters that mean a lot for future of uh star trek lore like kalis um and and then colonel philip green comes back in different series um but yeah it's just I, I thought it was it's upper middle for this season for me because it it just it's silly and fun and different you know i'm so i'm I'm going to say, and this is tough. I'm going to say that collectively, this is the best pair week of episodes we have ever had. Oh. I thought Victor Borger's episode was extremely strong for Muppet Show. And I thought this was an extremely strong showing for Star Trek. And I think because of that, this is like the strongest joint showing. In a while, anyways. Yeah, maybe since season two or something like that. Yeah, I'd say maybe it's a strong one. showing for season three of Star Trek. But I mean. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It might be it might uh, get onto our top five just because of that <laughs> for this season. That's true. That's true. Though there are a couple other really good ones this season that I enjoyed. So that's it's true. Gonna, this season has the highest competition, kind of. And we still have the last two. So yeah, so, yeah, we're so close to the end. I know. And we'll tell you, audience, what happens after that. Just you wait. That's right. Just you wait. So trivia for this episode. This is Hit the it. final episode of the series to feature the entire ensemble cast wow um, okay. after this some people are missing that kind of thing but everyone appears in this one you know sulu ahura Chekhov, everybody uh this marks the second time um in the original series where they are finding a silicon based life form the first being devil in the dark with the pain that episode pain. in the minds um i mentioned this fine this is the episode where we see the founding father kalis of of klingons and vulcan founding father surak and they come back in Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, they're mentioned. Um, Enterprise is especially with Surak's history, it comes to play. Uh, and, and Colonel Philip Green gets mentioned. But then the only one who gets short stripped is that Zora of Tiburon. Um, but also what's cool is Tiburon, where she's from, 
It's just a quick mention is where Dr. Severin, the villain from The Way to Eden, was from. Huh. Um, yeah. So it's a little throwback, but yeah, they're from the same planet. Um, Lincoln did he tells have weird eyebrows too. He did have a little, not as much as hers, but it was like he had little. He had strange ears or something, like hairy ears or something. It was weird. Oh man, we gotta look it up now. Um, but Lincoln tells Kirk there is no honorable way to kill, no gentle way to destroy. There is nothing good in war except its ending. And this speech was like that. Ri- that speech was man. Yeah, and I this speech was written well by Star Trek screenwriters, but it's become so popular. That some people mistakenly believe something real Abraham Lincoln said, but he never said that in real life. <laughs> I thought, and I'll say it, I'll say this, I think the guy who played Lincoln might be the strongest guest actor we have had this season, at least, maybe in I'd the say series. this season, but my favorite guest actor of all time is the, um, oh God, what the hell is his name? Where I think he, he might be a Q, but Q doesn't really exist yet in canon. Um, oh, um, God. Damn it! I I can see him in my head. Trelawney? No, that's oh, not. Oh, right. Trelane, yes, Trelane, Trelane. He's my favorite guest actor of all of Star Trek. Baby he was good. He was good. Yeah, he's just so silly and fun and mischievous, mischievous. And um, the guy from like the Shakespeare episode was real good. Yeah, he was really good. That's true. Um, um so one of the coolest bits of um, material or trivia here is Colonel Green's uniform was recycled into the spacesuit worn by Mork. In his appearances on Happy Days and Mork and Mindy. <laughs> Whoa. Like that exact uniform, like the, the actual costume was then repurposed. Right, and they just fringed it with silver and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Just like only five years later for Happy Days. And then about almost uh, maybe nine years later for Mork and Mindy. Um, That's crazy. Uh, William Shatner struggled to keep weight off during the show's run, famously, and found pounds piling on as filming dragged on over the course of, of this season. And his weight gain is particularly noticeable in this story in comparison to episodes earlier in season three. I, I didn't even notice it until the very end. They had a side profile shot of him. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's, he's gotten a little heavier. That's cool. But he always had the, the girdle on to keep it, you know, kind of pushed upward. But <laughs> poor Captain Kirk. It's a lot to lot to handle, man. To stay in that that tight suit and look good in it, that's hard. I mean, you're drinking scotch and smoking all day. <laughs> He's still alive somehow. <laughs> and healthy as a horse. I don't know how he does it. Um money. all right. So what are our trek connections that's and the, connections the this week? Money. Yeah, money does it. <laughs> uh Victor's last name is Borg. And the Borg <laughs> are a dangerous enemy in the Star Trek universe. Somebody had a hard time with connections this time around. I've got two real ones. <laughs> okay, that's true, though. <laughs> On Deep Space Nine, Odo uh, was compared to Borga in the episode Nanook of the North after uh-huh. impressing everyone on the holodeck with his piano skills. Hmm. René Abergemois, good actor. Uh, and the funniest joke I ever heard was a 1984 two-part TV special featuring countless comedians and actors telling jokes. On the special was Kermit and Piggy. Also on there was Victor Borga and William Shatner, as well as other Muppet friends and guests, including George Burns, Dom DeLuise, and Roger Miller. Well, look at that. Yeah, I told you I had two real ones. Those are good ones. Uh, well, good, because these are basically the same episode, right? These such such the same. Why would we watch both? I don't understand. They're the same thing. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, both feature opposing factions duking it out. Link Hogthrob and the Macho Pigs against Gonzo and the Chickens. And then Kirk and the good guys against the supervillain team. I had that exact similarity as my first <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, for my second one, um, yeah. 
both have uh, people trying to incite peace, which ends in disaster. Uh, Surak with the evil guys, he tries to get peace and then they kill him. And Fozzie with the babies, he tries to tell them a joke and they almost kill him. <laughs> That's right. They jump him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a similar vein, both feature attackers being lured into a false sense of security. <laughs> the Swedish chef going after the turtle and then getting shot in a workplace gun violence incident. <laughs> And Kirk and the gang, where they walked into a trap like chumps. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, God, what's that noise? Oh, Transporter man. malfunction. Transporter malfunction. No. This is the part of the show where we take one character from one episode and transport them over to the other episode. Uh, so what you got for Steve? Uh, Muppets to Trek this week. I've got bring the babies over <laughs> and replace the baddies. <laughs> uh, tormenting the good men on the planet. And this would later become the inspiration for Leonard Nimoy on Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> See, I have the opposite. I have the four evil people transporting over to the Muppets and replacing the babies. And they are the same personality-wise as they were in Star Trek, but they're all dressed like babies. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to have the rock monster come over and replace, uh, like the, replace the cat in Rock Around the Clock. <laughs> There's a rock and then he transforms and they all have to disappear. <laughs> and he goes back to being a rock and all the rats come out and dance again. I know you rats are here somewhere. <laughs> I will find you. I will judge all of your beings based on this musical number. <laughs> I have uh, Victor Borga replacing the rock monster. Uh, he <laughs> <laughs> he just repeat, materializes from the rock with a piano and he charmingly has to be a full grand piano. Oh yeah, full grand piano, and charmingly and delightfully tells Spock and Kirk what the test he has set up for them is, and he's very likable while doing so, falling off his piano bench a couple times. And yeah, but couldn't you also see Trelane doing that? Oh, that wonderfully showing yes. up, all Liberace looking <laughs> piano. He was definitely a Liberace lookalike. <laughs> he was. So that brings us to the end of episode seventy-eight of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Linda Lavin. And original series episode, All Our Yesterdays. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.